What's up, guys? It's Ace Coleman, and today I have Christian Clark on, and we have got so many things we're going to talk about. So, Christian, why don't you introduce yourself? Yeah, I'm a two-year shooter. I shoot competitive archery. I hunt a little bit. Um, I fish. I love a lot of stuff about the outdoors. And I'm currently going from shooter of the year in the amateur K50 class to known pro next year. I'm going to be shooting all pro indoor events and yeah, just full blown, you know, jumping into it as a career. So awesome, man. Tell us a little bit about your season. So yeah, I went to Rushmore Rumble. I'd been shooting really well, showed up there, shot great. I finished second behind Zach Plonsky by one point and then went to Iowa and shot the Iowa Pro-Am. Finished behind Zach Plonsky in second with 687 because it's a 690 tournament. And yeah, and I tied for second and won a shoot off. It went well. Uh, again behind Zach Plonsky and then went to went to Lancaster shot great made the top 16 and then lost in the last match at last arrow just missed it and, and the nerves got me there that was a whole different format um, shooting against head-to-heads never done that went to Vegas shot really well shot a 900 with I think it was either 84x because I missed four than two than two so 84x 900 went to Foley shot really well probably one of my best most forgiving weekends of shooting ever shot really well Foley of one went to indoor nationals one and then Fort Benning and camp Minden, Louisiana. I had some struggles there and couldn't get it done, but then I came back strong at London, finished third in K 50 finished third in metropolis. And then I won the ASA classic with 55 up. I shot a five. Oh yeah. <laughs> and then one shooter Dude. of the year as well. Tied, tied Aaron for score. And then uh, one on like 20 bonus rings. I shot a lot of fives this year. There's way too many fives and eights. Uh, Aaron. Aaron Shaw. Aaron Shaw got second. Oh, yes. He's also, and that's, that's cool too. He's, he lives about 20 minutes away from me. So we yeah. travel, travel like all the way around the nation and then wind up, you know, shooting against this, like the us two battling it out for the same spot. And we could have just done this at home. It's like, come on guys. Why do we, why do we got to drive all the way just to compete that hard against each other? So yeah, he's a great shot. Just, uh, just edged him out on bonus rings on that one. That was, that was a lucky win. That was a crazy weekend with the rain and at the classic, but yeah, yeah then this year just going pro, you know, going to, Nimes is a tournament that I'm going to add. I'm going to go to France, but everything else is the same. Yeah, I think I think just Nimes is going to add on the list. So yeah, when is Nimes? Nimes will be the weekend before Lancaster. So I'll be running to Rushmore okay. Rumble first, and then Iowa Pro Am, and then come back home, and then fly out to Nimes, shoot at that one, fly to Lancaster, fly to Vegas, fly back home. So Perfect. it'll be a busy, busy couple Bouncing. weeks. There. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about how you got started into archery. Yeah. So that's really cool. It's kind of a funny joke now, (laughs) but I I always wanted to be an Indian when I was a little kid, like really little kid and like shoot how they did in Buffalo hunt. I don't know what it was. I was obsessed with Indians and like native Americans and how they, how they could make a bow and go shoot it. So I'd go out and I'd cut a little tree down like the size of my arm and, you know, bend it over and then tie a a hay bale twine around both ends. And I'd shoot that all afternoon until it broke. And then, you know, next day go make another one. And then doing that, I just kind of wanted to do it. And eventually my grandpa or my dad, one of the two bought me my first bow. I shot that bow for, I want to say like 10 years and I got good with it. And, you know, I kind of took a break from shooting that much and trying to get really good. So my dad was a really good shot. I wanted to be as good as my dad. And I wanted to 
be like Levi Morgan. Whenever I got into watching competitive archery, I was just on YouTube one day and I saw an ASA shoot down from whenever it was actually the 2011 world 3d championships where Levi Morgan yeah. and Jamie Jameson were going back and forth. That was the video that got me in archery. I've told Levi that every time I see him, I'm like, remember that time when you and Jamie Jameson were going back and forth, that got me in archery. And that's, that's really cool. He's like, dude, you've told me this four times now, <laughs> but um, <laughs> dude, I know that know, same I'm video. Sure I get annoying at some point, but it's so cool. Yeah. Like, like, dude, that's where it started. Like literally. So I saw that and I'm like, I want to do that. I want to be that guy right there. And then I, I was watching them. I didn't even know what open pro or I think they just had open pro, but like, I didn't know what open pro or senior pro and all that was. And I just kind of figured it out. I thought open meant like a freestyle setup, but it really means that you're judging the targets. And I'm like, Oh, so these guys don't know the range finders. Cause the commentary is like, you know, they always say these guys don't know the yardage. They're just, they have to judge it and estimate it and then put a good shot. And they're close enough within a one inch ring that, you know, they hit it a lot of times. Um, so I wanted to be like Levi. I started judging a lot and got good at that. Really good at that. And then kind of took a turn and played more baseball. I wanted to do that as well. And then that didn't work out. And I was like, I want to be good at archery again. So I went and bought another bow, a better, way nicer bow. That was really, really whenever I started getting serious about like shooting more and shooting with my friends and not just me and my dad thing. I got, I got a few friends into archery and like when we started hunting and doing that and I didn't hunt that much. I actually didn't hunt till I was 16, but I ran and, and I just shot and I was, I was a good, really good shot. Like got all of us really good. And then went to see, that was when I bought that one. So then I went to actually a bow shop and I bought my first flagship bow. So the first one I bought was an old, it was a 2018 or 2017 clash. I think, yeah, Hoyt Clash. And so I shot that thing so much that I was like, I know I'm better than this. So then I went and bought my first flagship bow and I shot that thing for eight months. And then somebody was like, hey, you should get into doing this target thing. Like you're good at this. And I'm like, that's a, that's a thing. Like I thought like for some reason you had to already be a pro or, you know, have parents that were into it. And it kind of seemed like an unattainable thing for a while, yeah. but then just shovel out the money and, you know, buy a bow and then Next thing you know, you're fully in it and you're doing it and then you get more equipment and things are running and you do good at it when you work hard at it. So I just loved it so much. That was watching it through your sights, go and hit the middle. That's, I think that's probably the one thing that I'm like, that's what you love when it it's feels crazy. Good. Yeah. yeah. It's like a dopamine rush when like you're, you're like, it shot, shot goes off and you just watch the knock. You know, that's, that's the coolest stuff. What are some mentors that you've had that um, have helped you get to the level you are at today? When I started shooting for elite archery, I didn't have, I didn't have a lot of, I don't know, bow brands to run around with. So I, I wanted to find something cheap that I could do it. And elite was being the, I guess, most cost efficient way to get into it. They're not a cheap bow by any means, you know, all the bows are really great, but as far as the other ones, the result was 1600 bucks and that was the money that I had. And I bought that and it actually took me selling about everything that I had archery wise on Facebook. And I, I finally paid off that bow and then I slowly bought back more stuff. And then I had a friend get me in contact with Daniel Matthews when he was an elite rep and yeah, I texted Daniel. He got me on dealer staff and that was the last week that Daniel was working for elite and he went to work for another company, I think. And then I had Nathan Brooks reached out and then Nathan helped me a lot. I randomly asked him questions and that was really cool too. Cause I was just piddling around one day and next thing you know, Nathan Brooks texted me. He said, Hey, hi Christian, this is Nathan Brooks. And I started freaking out. I'm like, I know who this guy is. You know, he's like, he's like one of the legends, like one of the greatest yeah. of all time, 3D archers, incredible resume on that guy. So 
I was like, Oh my gosh, this is so cool. I think that's what I texted him. I said, I said, no way. <laughs> I was like, that's so cool. But yeah, he texted me. I've learned a lot from him and I actually got a job at an archery range that we have. It's run through the city. It's called the Springfield archery complex. And we have a club there called Ozarks target archers. And I get to shoot there. And my boss, Amy has helped me a lot with, you know, getting into competing and kind of not necessarily shooting skill, but the other things apart from the physical archery. So like not shooting as much and not equipment work as much, but the mental shooting and the mental side of shooting and also just steering me in the right direction to be more like a, you know, like a people's pro. Uh, a lot of us really don't like some pros that will not necessarily be too nice. You could say sometimes, and you know, everybody is their own person. Everybody's going through stuff, but there's definitely been, been times where it's like, oh, that was kind of rude. Like I was, I was a fan of you, bro. <laughs> but so yeah, just, she was, she's really careful about me. Like what I do, what I say, and people are watching you. So she taught me those lessons that you might wow. learn later on down the road really early. I still struggle with that, but you know, just with every good thing, there's bad things that come along. Like we were talking about earlier, if, uh, if you're shooting really well, sometimes like on Isaac's podcast, he's like, he shot really well. And all of a sudden people maybe weren't as nice to him that that's kind of how it might be if from the other end. So she was kind of making me not do that. Not that I was doing that, but I kind of, um, I had her help to make sure that I didn't go down that path of, you know, maybe being rude or saying stuff. And, and a lot of it was just that people are watching you. That Amy is a huge help. And from there, it, it, I got in contact with Nathan Brooks and then uh, Darren Christianberry. Darren has been an awesome help uh, working with Elite, helping me get equipment, I guess, tuned how it's like designed to be tuned. So like instead of on, on almost every bow, instead of moving the rest, how you can move the cams or you can tilt the exactly. limb pockets or they have, they have their own tuning stuff. So I, I was doing a lot of stuff, not like how they're designed to be done. Equipment wise, Nathan and Darren have been a huge help. Shooting wise, it's just a lot of practice. You can't, you can't tell someone how to shoot good and they shoot good. It, you just got to do it. And I've worked with some mental coaches, you know, sport performance coaching. That's been a, a big help, I think, as far as high pressure shooting. Shooting in practice, I think that helped a lot because then going to a tournament, if you know you can shoot that score and you still shoot that score, that's what's hard for a lot of people is going going to where it matters and then shooting that score. So dude, ha having that work of people is, is just so important. And um, yeah. yeah, it sounds like Nathan's definitely been a great resource to you. He's a really mm -hmm. nice guy. One of the nicest guys I've ever met. He's um, incredible. Great person. Yeah. And like every time like I see him, he looks at me and I look at him, we lock eyes and I'm like, what's up? Like with my eyes. And he's like, <laughs> Yeah. What's up? Yeah. Yeah. He, he's he was a really a great guy. In the way. Yeah. He was a major. Uh, I, he, I don't, I can't even think of like all the stuff I've been like, Hey, can I call you real quick? And it'd be like 11 yeah. o'clock. And I'm like, why is he? And he'll say, yeah, sure. Or something. And I'm like, Oh, that's a fun. I'm like, dude, why are you in bed? <laughs> I'm like, why did you have <laughs> phone call? Why are you talking to me? <laughs> yeah. Uh, like, isn't your time more valuable, but that's, yeah. <laughs> he's just giving back. I think. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. hundred yeah. percent. That's, that's what you see too. A lot of guys that will, that will go from, you know, just, just shooting and dominating there to shooting and giving back like that. And that's, yes. those are the people's pros. Those are the people that, you know, it's like when you, when you have nothing but good things to say, that's, that's kind of what, that's kind of what Amy uh, to touch on earlier. That's kind of what she was like. She's, she's like, you don't want, you don't want to give people reasons to not like you, whether or not you did bad things or, or rub somebody in the wrong way. You don't want them to be able to think that you want everybody across the board. Like Nathan, you won't ever hear anything bad about him because he's just that, that great of a dude. So being like is a huge help. When it comes to you 
what do you do that a lot of archers probably don't look at or do that makes you shine the most with your shot? Okay, so something that a lot of archers don't do is I think every time whenever I'm shooting and something ain't going right and the the problem keeps happening, like I, I say, I keep shooting out the bottom. It's like, it's not me. A lot of guys would be like, oh, it's it's me, not the bow. But and yeah, that's true. Like a bow is going to do the same thing every time. But if you can get it to where it doesn't do that, why why wouldn't you do that? So every time, every time that I'm shooting and if something isn't going right, I'm always, I'm always trying to, you know, find the perfect puzzle piece meshed together for my equipment and myself to line up together. And some guys will, will say that it's best to shoot your shot and have the equipment adjusted to you. And other guys that will mm. say that good shooter should be able to pick up any bow and shoot it well. Yeah, shoot it well, but the level that it takes shooting shooting that when, when you have millimeters, if you've seen some some targets that are out like for the Vegas shoot off, that's thousands and thousands of dollars. So and that, that millimeter, I guarantee you was a mistake that was more than a millimeter earlier on before they'd been fixing those issues. And a lot of times if your miss is something that would happen a lot in practice. Like last year, I always kept having a high left miss and it's just because I'd be aiming and I just pushed out the top as I fired it. And that was something that I struggled with and I got it really, really good. And then when I was out in the Vegas shoot off, it's exactly what I did. Just wasn't paying attention and I let it happen again. So it's like, but that miss, that miss would have been a nine or worse had I not mitigated that, that miss throughout my practice. So I think changing the equipment to you, that's how it makes it forgiving to like, I talk about, you have a bow that you can shoot pretty much anywhere in the yellow sometimes. And it just hits, it just works well to achieve that. You can't, you can't have a bow out of the box. That's not been messed with. That doesn't fit you. Now, sometimes, like I said, there's, you get a bow out of the box and you put it together and it's just magical. It just works. But when you right. don't have that and you you don't have that luck, that one in a thousand bow, then, you know, you, you can't just keep shooting it and blame yourself. It's like, you gotta, you know, you gotta change stuff. And another thing is I, I don't shoot a whole lot of arrows. So this year it's been a big part of my practice schedule to, to just shoot and shoot and shoot hours, you know, seven or eight hours in one day sometimes. I and mean, that's how you achieve the numbers of arrows. So like most of my practices are really dense and short, shoot yeah. for less than an hour and, and probably get oh, 60 to 90 arrows downrange and shoot, sure. you know, good scores. So the density of your practice, I think, can change how many arrows you shoot or don't shoot. So yeah, I would agree a hundred percent. Like I, I feel like there's a level of fatigue and then like that can be a good thing because like if you're super fatigued, you can pick out some things in your shot that yeah. You don't normally have when you're not fatigued. I mean, but sometimes whenever you fix a bow when you're fatigued and then you go back, you might have like a form shift where it's like, oh, I want I want to move it back where it was or something like that. But yeah. yeah, as far as changing the bow to fix the problem, that is huge. I feel like to get really good, like as an amateur for sure, what people do is they start learning how to change the bow. They, they just experiment with everything. They play with everything right. under the sun. I feel like right. that's true. And then you, you might agree with this. As a pro, I think every pro has already done that, but th they just have to keep doing that. They have to keep mm -hmm. fiddling with things just to get that little extra bit. And to touch up on that too is like I always tell people so many times that if you if you can change your setup and gain points, those are points that are already on the table that you're not missing as a shooter. That it's I call them setup points. So like if for example if somebody comes in and their bow is like so out of tune that you know, even shooting an arrow with veins, it's sticking in the target all sort of directions every time. Sure. And it's like, you don't, you don't realize that if you were to just 
simply shoot it through paper and, and get a better bullet hole, then, you know, setup points wise, your groups are going to be tighter. So I call those setup points. Like, like if yeah. I, if I get a bow, that's so forgiving that, you know, I'm still the same shooter regardless, but if I get one that's so forgiving that you can shoot it anywhere and it's going to hit the middle and then it's, you've gained maximum setup points on that. But yeah. And I think I, there was another thing too, that you said that made me want to think about it, but that might've been it. That might've been the setup points thing. Yeah. Yeah. Just basically the whole idea, just play with your bow. Like, like there's this person that I practice with a lot and she will just be very hesitant to change anything. And mm-hmm. I was so, I'll, so I just awful. tell her, try it. And if you don't like it, go back, but you need to yeah. try it. You need to learn and that's, to grow. Yeah. Like that's a huge thing too, is, is if you look at a pro, the pros across the board, I wouldn't say all of them, but as close as you can get to all of them, do their own bow work. They, they know mm. what to, you know, to how to diagnose those issues and what to change. And sometimes it's, you just have a hunch that, you know, maybe your bows, you're dropping your arm or whatnot, what it might be that you're not seeing, but it's happening. You can feel it, but there's also yeah. other stuff like if your bow's aiming too fast, you're, you know, you might add weight or change your stabilizers or your peep hide or D loop. you know, there's a lot of stuff that you can do. And then the feel of it, whenever those things are going bad, like save my bows aiming like this then the feel of it with your D loop or if your peep or your stabilizers, you kind of know what it is. So like watching right. it, one thing, like watching it through, I use the steady aim. So watching it, you can, you can see the issue, but it doesn't see it internally to what you feel. So if, if you were to feel it and you feel like your, your D loop, something's just weird. It's like here, well, you know, that it's probably your D loop height or, you know, it could be limb tiller. I've, I personally haven't limb tillered ever. I just, I just set the limb deflections kind of how they say to set it. That's one thing I don't, but so like the amount of pros that are, that are doing all their own stuff are the ones that, that are really achieving it. So like, if you are afraid to touch your stuff and, and I, I mean, I kind of see it from both ways. So like there's a bow shop that you might go into and everybody that walks in there is like, yeah, man, I was messing with my rest the other day. And, and we're always like, why are you touching your stuff? You're like, you don't know what you're doing. So there's kind of, it's a double-edged sword where if you know what you're doing and you know how to fix it and you have the knowledge, then why wouldn't you? Or, you know, accessing sure. that knowledge on tuning, on tuning your stuff is not, I mean, not really even tuning, but just matching it to how you shoot really well is a huge advantage. Like the best archers out there, I think, are also extremely good bow mechanics. So like, sure. you know, I mean, little Paige Pierce and how, just how good she can get that bow to shoot. Her bows are, the way she explains it, it sounds like it's just as forgiving where um, sometimes you just have a setup that you, it, when it fires, you don't care. It's always going to be in the middle. And, right. you know, and, and then nice. getting it to aim good is another good one. So it's like, it's like being that good of a bow mechanic I think is a huge part or like I'll talk to some, some, uh, sometimes we like run, I don't know, we have a Joad club or a youth archery club. So we'll have kids coming in. They're like, yeah, it's, it's been, you know, this has been happening for like six months. It's been shooting like this. It's like, why didn't you tell us sooner? We could, you know, we could have changed, we could have, you know, done something or like, we'll, we'll look at their, I don't know, their, uh, what it may be like their, their veins are contacting their rest so bad. I think just the, not like, they don't understand that. They just know that to just shoot it. And, but they don't understand that the, I don't know that you can, that you can move equipment and it kind of scales too with what you have. Like if you get set up with a very, very basic, like ready to shoot kind of package, it, there's right. like limited stuff that you can do, but you can do a little bit. And then uh, especially like draw length and draw weight, stuff like that. But I think that knowing what to do to your bow is a huge, huge impact that, and then you get, you get to the really, really, really 
highest percentile of archers, like you look at Kyle or Paige or Tim or I don't know, Bodie, you'll see that they'll make the tiniest little change. And then instantly they'll be gaining three or four X's or, you know, like I need to add a third of an ounce here and they do that. And it's like, they go from like shooting all over the nine sometimes. And it's just middle, you know, it's like right. the smallest little change, not that the smallest little change affects them, but it makes it so much easier to, to shoot that. Cause like good archers, again, will shoot good with whatever equipment they have, but making that little change and knowing what to change it's it's so much more efficient and that's where you get the highest elite level of shooters that are you know able to do that dude that's that's exactly right i know that jesse is notorious for having like an ounce on his front bar so Mm -hmm. yeah i wonder how he'd shoot if we took that ounce off probably has like internal it's on there for a reason (laughs) i'd say it's probably on there for a reason i'm sure he has yeah anyway as far as like if you were getting a bow out of the box, you know, just getting it ready to shoot a tournament, what would you do? I would. So getting from out of the box to a tournament, are we talking, I already have had one of these bows in my hands for a year or is it new release? Brand new. Day? Brand okay, new, new release bow. day. I would probably, I mean, since they're coming from elite, then there are, you know, whatever your manufacturer may be. But if, if mine are coming in and I've shot similar bows, you know, they don't make huge changes. A lot of times it's, it's, stuff here and there that are, you know, make, make all the difference, but you really, it's, it's like a very similar riser right in the middle of the riser or something. So I'll take, I'll take a postcard and I'll measure, I have an arrow square. So you clip it in the bottom edge of the arrow square. will show you like where the center of your arrow is. So I'll, I'll put that right in the middle of my D loop. I actually put a knock in it. And then with the biter knocks, they have a seam in the middle and I'll line that up with the seam and then mark the bottom of that arrow square, take an index card on the shelf mark where that mark is, put that on my new bow, mark that, put the arrow square. So I start with the D loop where I've had it before, start where I left off. From there, I actually like to, and this is, you don't need to do this. Nobody needs to do this, but I think an old, I'm talking way back in the day. And this is just how many videos I've seen on YouTube from when I started an old bow junkie, Chance Bobef bow junkie video. It was like 2013 or 2014. He was shown how he sets up his bows and he'll, he'll take the axles out, take the limbs off and then re-grease the limb pockets and put them all back in. I just started doing that. Just, I don't know, just randomly. I'm like, I'm going to try that. Have I noticed a difference? No, they're the same for, you know, it's the same exact thing that, that you started with, but just because chance did it, I'm like, oh, sure. Try that. Exactly. Like you said, Hey, try something. And you know, if you like it, then great. And so I'll put some grease on the limb pockets. Like I like, I'll put the limbs to where, so if I'm holding a right-handed bow in my left hand, the top left limb on the driver's side of the bow is the stiffest limb deflection. And then the next stiffest right below it. And then on the passenger side, it's the next stiffest and then the weakest limb on the bottom. Right. And I think that doing that just gets it the best spread around. And that's not the way to run it, but that's another thing Nathan Brooks said, hey, try this. And I tried it and it, it felt more balanced versus... Um, I don't know if they come from the factory in a certain order. I think they're honestly just kind of match graded like arrows are. And then they'll they'll pick them four of them out of the same bin or something. I can't really say how it is. I don't know, but that's how I could imagine it. Like, like for example, 70 pound limbs, I think around 124 or 126 limb deflection on mine. And the 60s are like 107 to 111, maybe, or 114, maybe. So like they'll, they'll kind of put them in different bins. But yeah, they grab four, put them on there. Whether they orient them or not, I reorient mine. Then I'll clip the hamski on the bottom. I use the limb clamp. It's kind of an odd, odd deal. So, and that goes into my hamski timing. I take the spring out of the limb clamp where it's just the limb clamp. And I clip that on my limb bear and actually tie the cord to that and then run it up. And I like to run the spring on the top of my hamski. And I'll get into that here in a minute. 
So put that on there first. Oh, oh after that, I, I bolt everything on the ham ski, the um, put new string. When I'm putting the limbs back in, I put the new strings on, obviously gas, bow strings. And then I'll say, I put the ham ski on, put the rest on or the side on, mount my stabilizer brackets on there. And then I usually just throw bars on it just so it looks better. <laughs> it looks, it looks cooler when you're sitting there looking at it. You're like, huh, that's looks awesome. Looks so, like a bow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It looks like a bow now. Exactly. We have the, I don't know um, if you've had them, but the LTR, the roller guards, I slide yes. those all the way out on pretty much okay. every bow just to get maximum clearance. And doing that creates a major left tear for me always. Every time I have a box, I'm like, I get the sure. bow. And I'm already going to mess with the limb pockets for a left tear because I know it. And then I usually shoot it and then it, it's pretty close, but still left. And that's one thing I've been playing with too is, is with the shims and the cams. I didn't think you were really supposed to change them, but I tried, I tried it. And then it, it got, I moved the cams to the left and that changed the left tear well so that now I can have my limb pockets in the center, but my cams nice. are just shifted over. So then you nice. have a maximum left and right. Do you really need it? No, you're never going to touch it again until you retune your bow. And every week or so, I'll, I'll just shoot a bear shaft and make sure it's good, but, or where it was. Yeah. Rest on the limb. I like to run my limb clamp as far back as it can go, but the limb is thin and then it gets thick at the end. So you have to run okay. it before it gets thick or all the way back on where it's thick. You can't run it on like the slope. So I put it at the bottom sure. of the slope or the thin part and yeah, I do that. I put a peep in the bow before I even tie my D loop, but I'll have my knock sets on there. And then my D loops, right. I found what I like best is 11 millimeters so that when I get shooting it, it'll stretch out to about 12, but I cinch them down pretty tight. So it's probably, it's probably not even 12 yet on my that current That sounds bow. like a very short D loop. It's, it's pretty short. It's, it's about, I can't, I can't even stick a, my, my pinky through it, but I like that. Cause I was wow. talking earlier, like a long one any movement here and like your whole bow, I feel like if you, if you're holding it with a long deal, your whole bow can pivot on a whole nother axis, but with a shorter sure. one, it's, it's obviously going to be more stable. Now, like your left, your, your release angle might play a factor, but I, again, like I, I test all that stuff. I'm like, I'll shoot it and I'll like turn my release like sideways almost and shoot it. And it's, it hasn't affected me yet. So right. do that. And then I'll set my draw length. And on, on the mods right now, I, I know about my, the value that I like. So that, here's something unique that I do that maybe not a lot of guys do is I'll just move the, so we have our mods that rotate, right? And they have a right. stop on the mods where the cable would touch here on the stop and that stop on here mod will actually come out of the mod and in so that you can adjust your, your valley, which changes your holding weight. I get the value that I like and then use the limb bolts to change holding weight if, if holding weight's odd. So like my, you know, like my peak weight isn't that, isn't that important you know even in known archery like speed it's whatever you know however it shoots best but yeah getting a holding weight it's really if it isn't an issue until it was an issue like if it was if i wind up with a lot of pounds like say uh a lot of holding weight would be like 20 pounds <laughs> i'm just kidding that's not a lot <laughs> but like for me it would be but with yeah like with 20 pounds when i'm sitting here i'm aiming it and like it like wants to come forward a little bit then my yeah. valley would have been my valley wouldn't have been deep enough or the holding weight's too much. So like now that I figure out the valley, I know it's the holding weight and I'll play the limb pockets. So, or the limb bolts. And then from arrows, I think a big part of the arrows thing, I know people say that this is not how, how not how they do it, especially shooting gold tip. You know, they'll, they'll cut them super short. Uh, not to name any names, sure. but Tim tells you cut them, cut them extremely short, right? Yes. At the rest. Kyle does it. Tim does it. And it's great for them. Like they're phenomenal with it. But I tried it and I just really didn't, I really didn't click with it that well. So right. then what I like to do is put my estimated point weight in there. So like indoor arrows, 
I'll probably put in about 160, 170 grains around what I'll shoot at the lightest, maybe 150. And I'll put that in there and I'll put a knock and a bushing in there. And then you, you tap the arrow on the corner. So you find that sweet spot, like a baseball bat. And that's your node, like where it doesn't, where it doesn't, it supposedly flexes around that point. So like if I were to draw a straight line, like here, and then you take that straight line and bend it, the ends are going to go low. The middle is going to go high and the end is going to go low. Well, you want to find that node where, where when it bends, this part's going low. So you want the rest right on it or behind it where, because, because when that arrow bends like this, your arrow is going to be going like down on the rest. And then, uh, or so if it's in front of it, your arrow is going to be yeah going down on the rest. And then whenever it comes across it, it'll, it'll cross that plane again. It, it, it can have weird movements. I think that's a blade thing more than it is a hamski thing, or it could be just my bow is the way I shoot them like a weaker spine. So I really should just be running them full length. Right. But also I think about this, I'm really analytical about things, but think about a dart versus a javelin or a dart versus like a really long dart. If you throw it, it's naturally going to be more, it's naturally going to be straighter if it's longer, kind of like a crossbow bolt for, or versus a compound arrow. A compound arrow should be more accurate if you, if you had it in a hooter shooter versus a crossbow bolt at long distance, theoretically it should be, whether it is or isn't, I don't know. But and I think I said straighter, I meant more accurate, but it's like a longer arrow. I feel like is going to fly. It's not going to tumble like an eight, uh, I don't know, like a, a low caliber rifle bullet will, will tumble very easily. Whereas like you look at your long range precision bullets are longer and, you know, more ballistically aerodynamic and that's for that purpose. So I, I like a longer arrow. And uh, once I find that spot, I, I mark that spot, draw it back on the, on the bow with my drawing that I like, and then mark where the rest is and cut the difference between those two. And if it sits right on it, it's perfect. But say if, if my rest, if this is the point of the arrow over here, and here's where the arrow bends and here's where my rest is at. I'll cut this difference. So I'll measure that dis- difference, okay. measure that on the end of whichever arrow that wobbles. So like if you spin an arrow, one end may or may not wobble more than the other, or they're both the same, or they don't wobble at all. Then so if one end like wobbles a, l- a tiny bit, I'm talking again, like your target arrow is like 1000 straightness. So a wobble, I'm talking right. like the tiniest vibration when you spin it and just cut that difference between the two. And then from there, if, as far as point weight goes, if, if I'm moving up, so say this E right here is my target and I'm moving down towards it and I fire dead center, but my arrow lands here. It was in the bow yes. too long, follows where the bow went. So that's kind of what I do. I start with too much point weight and then, yes. and then back it off down until it stops doing it. I don't want to go lower. Cause I feel like you, you're, like it, it'll be more, it should be more accurate. The heavier your arrows are but just, just like bullets. I mean, you, you get a really light bullet and a lot more stuff affects it, but then arrows same. I feel like the same principle. So you want it as heavy as you can get it, but there is such thing as too heavy. And I as far agree. as too light, I think that that has to do with like your arrow stiffness or your arrow size. There's a lot of things, but, but I know like Zach Polonsky was talking about, he wants them as light as he can get them. He was even trying to get some 50 grain arrow points to put in his stuff the other day. I'm like, you're crazy. I, I don't, I don't even know how, how you do that. Cause I'll be shooting like one seventies and he's like, bro, please try one hundreds or one twenties. Then I'll put him in there and I'll start shooting like eights and sevens. And it's Thanks. like horrible, like awful, like not even competitive. <laughs> and, and it's like, that way guys, I think Zach it's just unstable. Is insane. Yeah. And Zach's very analytical. Yeah. So he'll, he'll, he the same way he'll try something and you know, if it works great, if it doesn't, then great. Now, you know, and then you go back to what it is. Yeah. So it's intriguing. It really is. We talked about that on Tim's podcast, but yeah, I, I completely agree with the point weight thing. I'm currently running two hundreds and 
I used to run like 250s and dude, like I would literally have shots where the pin was in the middle, but it was like kind of up and down bobble. Boom. Like whatever direction the, it was going to follow. Yeah, exactly. Well, another thing is to like, if you have a little mistake, like if you were holding middle and then you fired and it moved at the last second, or even just the, the response from the bow firing was inconsistent. So like with the steady aim, you can, you can see your vibration of your bow and watch the patterns of that. So if you had one that fired sure. different, just if you hold your fingers out, make like two millimeters at 20 yards, two millimeters between your fingers is from the X ring to the six ring. So if you move that hand two millimeters, that's, that's that far of a drop, you know, so or that far of your bow aiming that low and then tuning, wow. I really just shoot a bear shaft. Good. That's if it's uh, usually for me, it's kind of like if I were to group tune where you move your rests, depending on your group size, there's all kinds of videos on it, but the angle or the direction of your group, move your rest that direction, whatever way you'll get a better group. But for me, bear shaft tuning, uh, you just shoot your bear shaft. And if it flies the same and hits the same as your, you know, impact on the, with the veins on it, that's the most forgiving way I found. And then from there, it's just draw length and stabilizer weight until it aims super good. And then, yeah, just roll with it and, if it isn't aiming good, then obviously there's there's things to change for aiming. But then forgiveness wise, I don't know. The better you can get it to aim, the better forgiving I think it you know would be. So tell us a little bit about the steady aim device. Yeah, so it's like a. It, I think it weighs two grams. You clip it on your sight with like a little rubber band, and when you shoot, it will it detects g forces in your movement. So when you shoot, it'll like show you drawn back and coming on target. And when a shot goes, it'll even show like the vibration of your sight. Like it'll, it'll have like a zigzag as it, as your bow would, you know, react and fall and you can watch it. And then you can layer all those together to where every time you drop your bow, you can see the different angles. So like if I'm shooting a three spot on the, on the top target, it comes down here on the bottom when it comes down there. And the other one comes down here. And it, it's, I think that it's, it's best to, there's a mode where you can put in where the arrow impacted so then it knows right. where you fired at and where the arrow left the bow at in relation to where right. it hit. And it's, it's really good at that. But like you things, little things you can see, like if, if your bow fired here, but your arrow left the bow there, there's, there's such a tiny little movement of that. And it's, I'm talking like from a dead center X to a bottom of the X or bottom of the X to dead center. So the smallest, you know, that you're talking at 20 yards, that's like a nanometer of movement that makes it do that just the smallest little change. So in the steady aim, I think I like watching the, like watching my tendencies and looking at it. Like it's somebody else shooting and being like, well, here's what I would tell them. And then sure. to do about it and then do that to my bow. And, and again, like normally if you're good enough shot. You, you kind of have a hunch of what it is. So I'm doing that, but, and then I'll really just use it when I'm setting up a bow a couple of times just to kind of check things. And then from there, it's, it's so minute, like a bow. I don't change a lot. You know, I'll run the same setup. I'll run the same setup all of 3d season or all of indoor season and indoors. The only thing that changed last year was adding, I think adding a couple clicks when I went to Lancaster and then taking those back out when I, my, when I went to Vegas. So it's like literally all you move your site, just a couple clicks here and there for lighting. Dude. Um, the node thing, I have talked to you about that before. Yeah. So that's interesting. There's not a lot of information about that out there. So yeah, it's Bodhi. I think was the first one that told me about it. He says, He's, we were shooting on a live video together and he's like, yeah, I need to cut a half inch off these arrows. I think I'm like, how do you, how would you notice? Like, what would that change? Right. Like, how do you know that you need to cut a half inch off? And what, what doing that and doing that? Or I think he said, he said, I cut off a half inch too much. 
And then, oh, so I'm sure. like, again, why does that, why would that matter? Why would that change it? But he shoots a blade. So I think with a blade, right. it matters a lot more. And that's why you don't see a lot of guys like Tim or Kyle or Zach Plonsky. They'll, they'll cut it right off and it's perfect. And I haven't even tried with my gold tips to cut them off right at the rest. I just haven't had, you know, extra arrows to play around with. And I should right. soon. I think, I think I, I, that's my next project. Uh, when I get new arrows in is just cut them off with the rest and, you know, run with those or, or see how good they shoot and if they don't, but I kind of see like with the longer, with a longer dart analogy, I kind of see that being the only advantage that I would gain or disadvantage. Cause I mean, it's like when you're shooting really well, why change it? But you know, I might cut sure. three arrows and try it and then, and then I might be shooting stupid good rounds. So um, yeah, yeah, I think, I think that, that that node thing, it makes sense. But what doesn't make sense though, is how, if the arrow is, it didn't Tim talks a lot about dynamics of it. So like in sure. movement, instead of static, um, the dynamic arrow spine where when that shot fires, the arrow is not even flexing until it's, I don't think it's moved about three inches is whenever it would really start to flex from the inertia. So it's like, I think, I think from like the arrow is not going to stay still and start flexing immediately. It's going to move forward a little bit, then start to flex when it hits the power curve of your bow. So it's like, I could see it being a good thing. I could see it not being a good thing, but I think what it really comes down to is what, what kind of spine your bow likes, like a weaker or a stiffer spine. And I've, I've had be- way better luck with weaker spines than stiffer ones for me. And, but I say weaker spine, but it's like a uh, X cutters, you know, a 250 spine and a triple X is a 150 spine, I think. So it's like weaker spine, but they're, they're still, they're still so stiff for that bow with only a 120 point on them or 140 point. <laughs> so, right. I, I completely agree. I definitely need to play with spine more myself, but um, I've I've always been a proponent of shoot the weakest spine you can in mm-hmm. most everything. But yeah, anyway, and I and that's why I shoot gold tip because I don't have to choose spine. I they only make it <laughs> one for X cutter and triple X because I'm like if that's another reason too why I don't shoot skinny arrows yet, like competitively because I'm like I don't want to have to jump down that rabbit hole of mm-hmm. having so many sets of arrows and testing because you can have a a 350 spine arrow and a 300 spine arrow that react the exact same way just because of the arrow length or the point weight or combination of both. So there's so many different inputs of, of, you know, what you could change that it's like, it really is just, I feel like just get the, get a stiffer one. And, and, you know, if, if it's not weak enough after you've put a lot of point weight to where you put too much in it and now it reacts with the bow, like we were talking about, then, then just get a weaker spine and try that. But it's like, I just, I don't have to get so many arrows to do that. It's that's a whole other rabbit hole. Yeah. I personally, I had some revelations that were like a 400 spine mm-hmm. and I cut them. I cut them so freaking short. I'm talking like mm-hmm. I had to move my rest so far back just to get them to shoot like 24 mm-hmm. and a half inches probably. And they shot terrible. Yeah. absolutely terrible and then i shot some some x impacts that were i think a 400 spine mm-hmm. slightly heavier point and longer and they shot so good but yeah i've had that situation where you do cut the arrows too short and especially with the blade you can definitely see that but yeah and it, it's rough because now you're like oh, i'm gonna have to wait on new arrows to come in from you know yeah, right or, or from your manufacturer it's it's so rough sometimes when you're you're just stuck with this setup and you're like, I don't want to yes. go and spend $300 on new arrow shafts. And, you know, cause I could, yeah, I could run down to, you know, the bow shop and, and buy some, but who wants to do that? Because you made the mistake of, of doing that. So right. it's, yeah, it's, it's not fun when, when you know, 
it's something's something's not right, but you only changed one thing. So you know what it was. It's like, yeah, I, I feel you on that when you're like, oh yeah. Not and and that's, that's the thing. Like, like with people that are like at a professional level, you know, you're going to get equipment more. And at that point I would just play with this stuff like that more. But mm-hmm. like, if you're, oh, yeah. if you're an amateur, like just, just focus on the big chunks first and get those nailed for yourself. Just 100%. Fit. Yeah. Yeah. And that, so. that's too, like shooting the fat arrows that come in one spine. It, that's, that's a hundred percent exactly why. Cause I'm like, I don't need to focus on that as much because I don't have the equipment and the resources to do that. But you know, when you, when you may get a lot of arrows every year and then, you know, you have a back stock at your house that so you have several, you know, sets of several spines, you know, you can play with that. So, and that's something yeah. so little, so small that, you know, if a lot of times I'd say 90% of the X's on an 80 yard field faces that are missed are not because your arrows are too weak or too stiff. It's, it's other stuff. But when it wasn't yes. that, you know, you're trying to gain that little bit in the pro class, you know, that 1%. So, and that again, ties right back into it. And those tiniest things matter. It's, it's, it's crazy. And it's, it's kind of scary to think about, but you know, it, yes. but, you know, you're going to have, you're going to have those resources, I think coming yeah. to you. Now, as far as aerospine, um, what I have noticed is a lot of people that choose aerospine based upon the chart online for their their bow poundage and draw length and all this. Mm-hmm. And I personally think you can get any aerospine to work if your mm-hmm. bow can tune that arrow. Yeah. So the 400s that sure. you didn't have shoot good, it was because they couldn't tune. Well, I mean, they they shot a bullet hole through paper, but they just didn't group well. And mm-hmm. honestly, it makes me wonder, like, if I would have bare shaft tuned it, I would have probably seen a difference, like a pretty bad bare shaft. I would yeah, think. like like if you if you like really extreme group tuned them after the bare shaft or something, is that what you mean, like having a really bad bare shaft shot or? Yeah, just like oh, you like know, they like had a, a bad bare shaft, so trying that would have. Is that what you yeah, mean? I, I have no idea. I didn't try them. Um, okay. But if I'm sure if I would have, even at 20 yards, I'm sure it would have been like probably in the red on a Vegas face. My guess. Yeah. And with, even and then, with skinnies, yeah, with skinnies, red isn't, that's not a lot out of tune. I mean, with, with a big, right. I guess with skinnies, red is pretty far out of tune. With a, but with a bigger arrow, red would be not, not far-fetched, you know. Oh, I forgot. I was, I was going to say something. I don't know. I'll, I'll remember it. Oh, I remembered the thing from earlier, okay. but I just forgot it. Actually, I remembered it. <laughs> <laughs> that's so go on. So I know I remembered it earlier, but I just drew a blank again. That's that's me for you. So that's that's it personal. Yeah, happens, oh, man. Get you some ashwagandha or some supplements. Maybe you'll get some better. I get some alpha brain. I think I've been thinking about is does that is that Usada accepted? Do you know? There's Dude, apps I, out there that you can look it up. What do you mean? Um, it, like, so there's there's apps out there that you could see if it's USADA drug test compatible. So like, you can go in the app and look up like your drug oh. brand and like what you'd be what you would take like over the counter stuff, and then it'll sure. tell you if USADA it would trigger their thing or not. And that's not to like get around it, but it's like a database that says this just, would cause so a drug test and this wouldn't. So yeah, um, I heard about that. I, this pers- that you can do. I personally. I have taken Alpha Brain before. Um, this is completely random, but we'll just talk about it. But so give me a second to think about what I forgot twice. Yeah, there you go. So I took Alpha Brain before, and I've shot um, 
taking alpha brain, like, you know, they have like focus packets and then they have the pill form. And for me, it just turns me into a freaking zombie. Like I just, I feel like I'm so focused that I lose focus. Yeah. So it just messes like with me. Meds. Yeah, exactly. And I, yeah. I mean, I've, I've been diagnosed with ADHD myself, mm-hmm. but um, that's a whole nother rabbit hole. But yeah, it's, it's yeah. pretty obvious, but I don't take my meds anymore. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> it's pretty obvious, but I think that makes me who I am. You know, it's kind of, yeah. when, when I was younger in school, it was hard. It, it, that's, that's so hard to focus, but you know, now I'm, I'm older. I kind of, you can, you can like divert yourself and become Dude, obsessed. And this is the thing. Yourself. This is the thing. Yes. Um, I I've been in the same boat and it's like people that are like ADHD type profiles. Uh-huh. These people if you're shooting archery, it's like you can channel that energy into shooting. I feel I feel like there's a lot of guys that are like ADHD type people that shoot a bow really, really, really well. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. I think the the best part for me is um, the work ethic. So like for me, if something's not right, whether it be like if my foot itches or if I'm <laughs> sitting right or like my wallet's in my pocket, I have yes. to adjust I'm constantly like moving around to do that. But um, but like with shooting uh, a couple days ago, I, I, fr- I was at the range and I was like messing with my stuff and I forgot, um, uh, like one of the long arrow wrenches that you go down the back end of the arrow to change yes. point weight. Cause when I was in Vegas, I, I, uh, I super glued the points in the end of the arrow with mm. some, I forget what it was, but it was some super glue that some random archery company there had for me to try or whatever to use it. And that was because I bought the 23s to shoot in the world archery. I forgot to mention that I shot in the indoor uh, world finals. And that's why I'm going to Nimes this year. I want to, I want to try to make that again. That was really cool. But uh, they won't, if you heat it up, it won't come out. Even if I get it so hot that like I, I, when I'm heating up an arrow and a point, I hold the carbon around the point so I can kind of feel how hot it is underneath that carbon um, while I'm heating it up. And then normally though, I hold it there for like two seconds and I just have pressure on it with the wrench. And once it starts to move, then I just pull it out. And then it, it isn't that, and I could just grab it. Like it's not hot at all. Um, but these ones I'm talking like it, it would start to smoke like the, the, yes. like the, it would start to smoke before it. And I'm like, yeah, let's not do that. And, and once I got, I'm like, okay, it feels kind of hot on my hand. So yeah, but I had to go get a wrench and I was so anxious that i didn't have that like i'm i was like amy i need to go home and and grab this wrench like i'm i'm losing my mind right now um because i I was there and i was like i was like shooting but not on the clock but if they needed me then i'd I'd hop on the clock so i was like i was like hey uh let me know if you guys need me in the next hour or so because i'm gonna need to run and go home because it's it's i'm losing my mind and i actually took my uh 23s what i was doing is i added 40 grains to the point i think and brought him from a 130 to, or no, I brought him from a 150 to 190. Um, okay. And I think that's because so I'm shooting the same ish com um, like draw weight, like same same setup for the 23s and 27s, um, but different bows. But they're really close to identical as far as right. you know specs that would make an arrow fly. But like I said, with the um, arrows being points being so light that it, they're just scattered and it's it's kind of uh, they're unstable. I'd say. But then I was like, I I feel like I need to add point weight. So I went home and, and put 190s in the 23s. And then I, I had a hunch that I should put 40 grains in it. I put 40 grains in it. And now they're at 516 grains, I believe. And my 27s are 518. So I added 40 grains and, and I'm they're shooting lights out. They're shooting just as good as my 27s, but they're just a 23 instead of a 27. 
So I, uh, and I, and that's the thing too, people are like you skinnies or smaller arrows are way more forgiving and that might be for them, but I've never had that though. Usually for me, it's the larger arrows that are more forgiving. If I, last year I went to the Paris, Texas indoor ASA shoot that they have for the buckles every year. I went to do shoot that. And I just shot my indoor setup the week before Vegas. I just put a sight tape on and shot a sight tape, went with my same Vegas, everything. And I shot on 20 targets is like 36 up, I think, or it was close to that. It was high. Wow. I yeah. only missed a few and it was, it was stupid. Like I had, I had some that fired it like at the belly of the target, but I threw my bow up and at 50 yards, it smacked the upper. I'm like, I can't explain it, but it just shoots. You know, when you get them to shoot at 20, they'll shoot everywhere. Oh, and, and <clears throat> you're talking about um, practice stuff that I do that I feel like not, not a lot of other people do is shoot your indoor bow at 40 yards. When you're setting up a bow and you only have shot that bow at 20 yards, I kind of, I did this last year. So I got my new bow in that verdict, and I was shooting it and then it it was shooting great for about a month, like per, really good, actually better than ever. And then it just, it just slowly plummeted. And I'm like, what the heck? And mm-hmm. then I was like, I kind of, I was actually at a Christmas dinner for uh, work something. And I was like, I have not shot that bow past 20 yards at all. I guarantee uh-huh. you if I took it to 50 or 40 yards, it would shoot so much better. And I took it out to 40 and I took a lot of the front weight off and it aimed really good. And I brought it to 20 yards and then, Obviously it shot very well the rest of the season and through 3d season had that same 16 in the front, 20 in the back. And that's what worked for me. And I, I think I put longer bars on it, went to a 33 and a 15 instead of the 30 and a 12. So yeah, Yeah. at 40 yards, at least it'll tell you everything you need to know. I feel like to shoot good at 20 and like 3d practice is normally at 40 to 45 yards for me. That is a great piece of advice. I have not done that. And I always feel like I, I personally suck really bad sometimes indoors because it's like, dude, you haven't even shot it past 20. It's like mm-hmm. you're you're not seeing the pin movement that you would normally see further away. Yeah. So then you won't get that data to make decisions with how to get your setup comfortable. Yeah. And yeah, like perform. like you have an ASA bow and I know you've had this before, but like with uh, towards the end of your ASA season, you've got everything dialed and you've, you know, you've had time mm-hmm. with that bow and like you pull it back and at 50 yards, it just sits, it just squats right on the 12 and it doesn't move. And if you shot that same setup with 27s for indoor, it's like, that would be perfect if it did that every time at 20 yards too. And then, so I was thinking about that. I'm like, and I took my boat 40 and I'm like, I would never shoot this setup <laughs> at, at an ASA tournament with how it was, how it was aiming, you know, with the stabilizers. Sure. So then I changed that it's up to and then went to 20 and it helped a lot. It's very easy to like overkill things on a bow indoors. Like I mm-hmm. feel like with the stabilizer weight, um, I might try that out. I might personally, like that's something I haven't played with enough. Like I have the highest holding weight. I feel like I can run comfortably. Um, that with the stabilizer combo, I like mm-hmm. it's like if I took that system and dialed down the holding weight a little bit, dialed down the stabilizer weight a little bit, and tried that like I'd, I'd love to see what that would do but i wouldn't do that unless i stepped back and i saw that hey you're like looping like this or something like that yeah. or hey it's not coming to the middle fast enough or something like that yeah and that's like I whole you know six ring six ring on a vegas face that that's what you're doing in the middle of the x or the 10 ring at, at 20 you know or i sure. guess if you really ratioed it down 
If you're moving across the nine at 20, you'll be moving across the red at 40. So 10 ring and at 40, you're, you're going nine ring everywhere. And you're like, I would never shoot this like that. So, um, and I think, I think too, if you have a setup dial, like an ASA boat, if you're shooting 50 yard shots and you're hitting, you know, nine out of 10, 12 rings in practice, and then you go to 20 yards, you're, you're 99 for a hundred at least. You know, so yeah, I, I, I didn't, I made it a point this year to not miss anything that I knew I was going to hit. And, um, granted, granted, wow. it's like when you have that confidence, you know, when things are rolling last year, I think I even told you this, I'm like anything 45 and in, I know I'm going to hit it when I step up. Like that level of confidence is, is really great. Cause then you walk up to a 45 yarder, you're like, yes, it's a close one, <laughs> you know, like, like yeah, yeah, I can hit this. One. So I've, I've had days like that where, you know, since I haven't what? even gotten to the good part yet. Yeah. I measured that D loop. Yeah. It, it's 11 and some change. Like the, with the two lines, you know, like, like here's 11 millimeters and this one's like here, like on the edge of it. So probably 11 and a quarter millimeters. No, it's just like that. Yeah. Like it's, it's close, but yeah, I mean, it's like, it's enough that it doesn't even like come out really. It just kind of goes across like that. It's, it's real short, but it's enough. So with command shooting, I know you command shoot. Tell us a little bit about what command shooting is. <laughs> the way you said that, I was like, you were like, I know you command shoot. <laughs> it's like the like the FBI. So <laughs> there's, there's different <laughs> there's different ways of doing it. There's definitely a right and a wrong to everything. And sure. for example, when I shoot, I want to emulate a hooter shooter because and I'm I'm into it's kind of funny. I'm just like Tim. I'm a little bit into like target shooting uh rifles so i nice. i i know a bit about that and i've learned from my dad you know he talking about muzzle loaders and different loads and he used to be really big into doing that and he's tested all the bullet loads out there so shout out to him but, but oh command shooting so i want to emulate a hooter shooter like with rifles you don't want to shoot off the shoulder you want to have it in a bench while you're sighting it in so you know it's good so a with a rifle if you were to flinch as you shoot obviously it's going to miss so if you command shoot and you flinch as you command it you're obviously going to miss but um, if you're in a hooter shooter, it doesn't matter if you slap your trigger and it's really light, or if you slowly squeeze that trigger in the hooter shooter and it goes off surprise, it's either way. If I, if I, my front arm is way out and I'm at full draw and I'm aiming when that bow goes off from my face forward, I want it to look like it was a surprise and I want it to act like it was a surprise. So like my front hand doesn't know it's coming. And that's, that's what a lot of guys run into is they think that punching means punching or command shooting means punching. And I don't know if you've ever seen videos of Jimmy Lutz sometimes, he know he knows they're out there. So it's not knocking him at all. He's a great shot, but like sometimes, yeah, you know, you'll see him just like whack it. And it's like, it's like, I don't know how he does it, but it works. Right. And I think that it's because it's because his front hand is probably so good that it doesn't matter what's going on back here, whether it's a surprise or not, it released the string the same way. It's just with me, I used to do it a lot better I'm talking oh a year and a half ago right after vegas last year but as i'm bringing i want my pin float to come in from the bottom and it doesn't matter what direction it comes in from the bottom's the best because you can control it really slowly going up whereas if you're dropping low to the target it's easy to like give up and let go and let it drop but yeah raising it up is is i feel like the way to go for me and as it's coming in, I like to squeeze more and more and more. And that timing of it, when it goes off, it just works like magic. And wow. what I would do is if it goes off earlier or late, 
then play with my button tension. And it's usually pretty light because even though I'm squeezing for, or even though my button is super light, I was still squeezing my button for about a second or two. And I'm talking like a hair trigger, like, you know, like less than an ounce sometimes, but you're, I'm squeezing so slow. It feels like skin cells. Uh, you're just slowly putting more and more of your thumb on it. And, you, and I'm not even touching my trigger. It's just grazing. I can just feel it. You know, like, like if you, if you like graze the hair on your arm, it's like that, like you're not even touching your arm, but you can feel something touching it. As I'm coming to the middle, I slowly squeeze it like that. And then it goes off in the middle. Now it's more, now it's more executing it where when it's in the middle, it fires and it's a sight picture thing, like a lot like Kyle. So like if I see my, my aim pattern is so consistent from shot to shot and the angle that it comes in at and the speed it comes in at some shots are worse than others and it'll go off early. But again, the forgiveness, it usually hits sexes. And as far as like the button tension, touch as light as I can go. And I, I still graze it like that. But when it gets to the middle, I, I just put, you know, anything more than grazing it will make it go off. So I, once that pins in the middle, it just goes off and you can't think about it too. So a lot of guys, if, if you try, if you didn't, if you didn't get good at shooting by command shooting, I feel like it's so hard to try it and, you know, and, and stick with it because if you, if you try it, you're gonna be thinking about it. So you can't think about when it fires and you can't think about, you can't tell yourself now in quotes, like you can't be like, exactly. now, shoot it. that's not good. So you just slowly wow. squeeze and I'm so like slower than anybody I've ever seen shooting. That's how slow I try to squeeze. Cause again, it's so light. And then with it being super light, like Zach says that he, he runs his buttons medium heavy, not, not heavy, but not light. He runs them by medium, but he wraps his thumb so much. It's preloading that trigger so much. So he's like right on the edge of it firing. I don't like that because it's kind of like a click and a hinge. My button, my, my thumb grazes my button. That's kind of like my click. Like I, I know I'm at that point in my shot versus sure. if I wrap it and get heavy on it. Paige talks about, she doesn't know how heavy she is on it sometimes. And, and then shots will fire a little earlier or a little later yeah. than others. And so that's kind of what I would run into. But yeah, if you if you flinch at all, that's not good. So I want to emulate a hooter shooter, but just shoot it when it's in the middle. And with a hinge, I don't know what it was. I think it I think it's just inconsistencies on a bunch of different things. There are gonna be so many things like like your tension while you're holding the bow back and your release angle. But release angles, I, I've never struggled with it. And another thing is, I said I've never struggled with it. I don't typically struggle with things until I start to think of th about them while I'm shooting. So I let everything just be natural. And that's kind of what I went to from trying to get as good as I could with a hinge. I just naturally try to shoot and naturally try to feel what's going to hit the middle. So whether it's right or wrong, if it's going to hit the middle, you know, it'll work. Like I almost was running 180 or 190 grains on my, in or my 3D arrows this year but I couldn't get a sight tape past 55 yards and it, it would contact the arrow. So it was, and oh. it was such a drastic change. My sight tape was so long that from 20 to 50, it was such a big change here, but they grew mm. so good at 50 cause they didn't, I don't know. They, they were just con so consistent. So then I just went back down to 140 and finished out the rest of the year. Well, but I can't explain it. Just, just whatever is naturally, you feel like you're going to hit the middle more then just do that. Like if you see Nick Capper shooting, not to yes. say that he pushed the hinge, but if you're watching in Vegas, 2022, when he got second, he was, you can see his hinge and, and he would, he would shoot, he would shoot the shot whenever it was, wherever it was. And I, I think that's a lot similar to mine where like you're on, you're on the edge of it. And like, as you bring your pin to the middle, you shoot it. Oh, it wasn't Vegas. It was Lancaster where they had a really close right. up on his release. And you could see he wasn't, he wasn't necessarily punching the release on the hinge because you can't punch a hinge, but it was, he does it so well and he's so talented at it that 
his front hand d- doesn't move and that hinge goes off. And when you're that good at it, you can, you can get away with that. And that's what worked for him, you know, and, and obviously it was probably more natural to do it that way. So yeah, I, I tried shooting a hinge for a while and then I, I grew up shooting a wrist strap and then went to a thumb button. I, went, I shot one of those $5 Walmart, not Walmart, but like $5 Allen, I think thumb buttons. Yeah. It's plastic. Yeah. You can find on Amazon. It's like oh six ninety nine. So yes. I shot one of those for a long time. And I, and like they have so much travel and I'm like, I, you could feel it. It's like a two stage trigger, like a pistol. You could feel all that travel go out and it stopped on a wall. And once I yeah. hit that trigger wall and I, you could, you know where you're at. So I like that. And I know that there's clicking thumb buttons out there now. Scott has this clicking hand or a, it's a, it's a wrist strap, but it has a double finger that you can use kind of like a hinge. So when you get here, you anchor like a hinge, but then you, you squeeze the, it's the Scott verge. Um, but yeah, you squeeze it and it clicks and you keep squeezing. And it goes, I love that release. And if they, if Scott come out with a thumb button that clicks, but you could change the travel between the click to fire. I know that's yes. something you can't, you can't ask for that. Cause it's like, if you've seen the internals of a thumb button, it's not possible <laughs> that I don't think that would be, yeah. unless it, unless it you took completely. the sear, yeah, unless you took the sear design out of an apex or, you know, one where you could change the click to tr- the click to fire and somehow be able to individually move two halves of a sear inside of a thumb button apart from each other. It's possible, I believe, but, but it, that would take so many internal parts and stuff. It's like, it's something that's way out there if you could internally move that. But yeah, if you could get a button that I feel like would click, but oh, Nathan, Nathan Brooks told me he shoots that verge as a thumb button, the, the wrist strap one Scott makes. So he flips around backwards and took the finger peg off and he was shooting it as a thumb button like that. So hmm. it, you you could Jimmy rig something that would get, get it to, you know, emulate what you were wanting. So, and I think that, you know, him telling me that is kind of maybe a, maybe it could have, could have led him to be like, Hey guys, we should, we should try to work on something like this. So maybe it might come yeah. out who knows, but yeah, just, just the thought that he was trying that it, it could, it's, I mean, it's very possible, I think, but parts to, cause like, so putting a clicker in it wouldn't be too hard. Cause it's just like a, a sear on like a longhorn or any other release that you can't change. You have to change out the sears to change the travel click to fire. Right. You could do that. And that's not hard, but I don't know. It, it'd just be a lot. So, but yeah, like, yeah, one, one, you just you have to get the assembly, right? What's that? I think you just have to get the assembly, right? Like, yeah. And it has to not move. Those yeah. Two things. yeah. And the movement's hard too. Cause like Scott has like a locking screw. Um, I think all of them have locking screws on them that you can lock it back and then nothing, nothing moves, but with like with Paige and how she starts shooting a hinge. Cause you, you can't, you can't determine how much thumb pressure is on it. If you're running a heavier button that right. that's why I, I have that, that I just graze my thumb on it. And I, I know it's in the same spot every time. And then the timing of when the button fires that I adjust the tension for when it fires and, it just naturally, I feel like when, when I'm shooting really well myself, not like the, that the bow is perfect, but when I'm no, I'm shooting great. You don't, I don't, you don't think about anything because it's, everything's yeah. perfect. You know, you don't think about exactly. anything, but if you, if you start to think about like your back elbow or your, you're wrapping your thumb or like where your peep alignment is and stuff like that, then you start to have those misses because you're thinking about them and doing it differently than what's natural. So you just, exactly. you know, it's wrong. It's not natural. So you, you adjust your stabilizer weight or you adjust your holding weight or something. I agree with command shooting. Like I, I start command shooting, and it's you cannot think about what's going on. It's like you literally shoot yourself in the foot, and that's kind of a good thing, it, you know. Yeah, it has to go off naturally. It can't, sure. and it, it's completely subconscious. And that's 
kind yeah. of to play into how I got started is like, I didn't learn. There wasn't like any single person. I watched a ton of bow setup videos, a ton of um, the old ASA shoot downs, the old Vegas shoot downs. I could name a lot of different Vegas shoot downs and like, you know, 2013 Vegas watching that one so many different times. Yeah. And um, well, just like certain, yeah, certain ones I've seen so many times, like the Levi Morgan, Jamie Jameson, we mentioned, I've seen those a lot and you learn a lot from there. So not to say that I didn't learn from anybody and I learned it all by myself. I can't say that because I did learn a lot from the videos, but sure. with going naturally to what I feel like hits the middle the most, that's what I think just, I haven't learned from anybody that, you know, that that's just what's going to work for me. But, and then just thinking about it, like if you raise your D loop, it's going to change the elevation of your front hand versus your backhand. So when you're pulling, you're pulling it at an angle and you're creating a triangle you know, that makes sense. That's the kind of stuff I'd think about it sure. as, as a 12 year old that, that it's like, that would, that makes sense, you know? And, or like, right. if you're in the one thing that I haven't yet to this day understood, okay. When you're, when you're tuning a bear shaft or you're changing a bullet hole or anything or broadhead tuning, if you're up and down tear, it makes sense. Like lower the rest yeah. and it's in line now, but left right. and right is the opposite. It's the opposite. That yeah. baffles me. Absolutely baffles me that up and down, you know, you'd, you'd move your rest away from the broadhead and then left and right, you, you move it towards the broadhead. Or if you have like limb adjustment or whatever, use your normal tuning thing. Don't be moving your rest if you don't have to, but on the older bows, you had to, like I had a, an elite ritual that didn't yet have the set technology in the limb pockets. So I had to, I had to move the rest or you can move the shims, but I didn't have a bow press. So it's like move the rest or else you're, you're just going to set into your broadheads being off. So it's like, it that it baffles me if anybody knows why a broadhead why broadhead tuning is opposite left and right than it is up and down please reach out because that's baffling <laughs> me. it doesn't make any sense it has to do with I some mean, dynamic or how the arrow like if it's come because like if so if it's out of tune it's coming from an angle on the rest because your string is moving on this plane and if it's not in line then your rest is holding the point here so it makes sense why i would kick your arrow like that if your strings, so here's your rest and your point of your arrows here, you draw it back and now you're out of line where well, your string yeah. isn't moving it in the line of the arrow. It's moving it straight forward where the rest is pointing towards. So that would make sense why it'd be a right tear, or a high tear, low tear, but left and right is opposite. That doesn't make sense. Like right. if you think about a slow motion arrow shot, why would it be throwing the knock to the left? Because the string is moving the string back and forth is, or your cams back and forth is opposite of moving your rest back and forth. Exactly. So moving string towards that tear would make sense, but yeah. why? Yeah. So like, and like if you're so static, if your bow is a knock right tear, that means your, your rest is too far to the right of your arrow. So your arrow is really sitting statically in the bow as the knock left, but for some reason it makes a knock right. Cause you have to move the rest. It's opposite, but up and down, yeah. it makes sense because it's pointing higher low. So sure. yeah, it baffles me. That's, I that's could, the old I paradox. I still, that. I still don't understand to this day. Yeah. And to add to that, I I know that um, a lot of people, like when I first started, I always thought you tuned with the rest, but the reality is the rest does not move the arrow in a paper tear enough and shimming the bow or doing something with the cams mm -hmm. left and right, like like the set technology on the elites, like that, that is so much better. It's such a larger adjustment. Yeah. Well, cause then, cause then if you have your rest in the middle of the bow and you have your, you know, everything's in line and in tune with that. Now, if you, so like I used to run out of, I think left travel on my site. So on my result, yeah. I had moved the whole tune to the left. I had to move the rest 
or the, to the right, I think. I had to move the rest to the right and then change the tune on the cams for that. And that's why you want it in the middle where I move my cams over with the shims and then go with the set technology. Cause then it's in the middle and I have that maximum adjustment. But if I'm say, if I'm already maxed out to the, for a knock left tear, and then I can't get enough travel in my site, well now I'm maxed out. So what do you do? You know, if I have to move the rest over, that makes the left tear even worse. So, uh, what is your definition of the mental game and do you like do anything to like work on your mental game? Yeah, a bit of it. I, w- I went through a, an archery coach and if you want to know about it, reach out to me because I don't know, she's so busy. So there, she, she, she'll have to take appointments sometimes, but <clears throat> so I reached out to an archery coach, started talking to her a lot about, you know, what I, what my goals were and then how to reach those goals and how easy I think it is to reach those goals as well is a big thing. So if, if you are, you know, you go to a tournament, if you practice really well, there's no reason why you shouldn't shoot well in a tournament. But I think again, like the setup part of it has a lot to play with your performance at a tournament because your mistakes may be magnified, but magnified even more just because you're under pressure or you might make them more because you're under pressure. So I don't know. I think the nerves wise of my mental game hasn't gone down, but the confidence is the biggest part. The confidence that I've gained, maybe or maybe not even through, you know, mental training or, you know, as any any sort of like sports psychologist, those are a lot of archers use them. You'd be shocked. And even the best ones you can think of, like Joel Turner, that that's exactly what he does is that under pressure, how to think, you know? So, so that's, that's a really good, I don't know, a really good analogy that that it's it's a lot like that when you work with a sports psychologist is how to think and how to perform under pressure because that's what you can't really teach or learn until it happens until mm-hmm. you've been faced with that so so yeah like the biggest learning part was the confidence to shoot under pressure and shoot through the nerves so like the nerves never go away for me but shooting through them i think is really good but i like to thrive off of it and and think of myself as more like excited to shoot under nerves but the the hardest part for me is is I get cold. I don't know if you do that, but like if I walk into a range and it's like I forgot a jacket from my car to the range and you're cold, it makes everything 10 times worse. So staying warm and staying hydrated is a big thing. Like in Vegas, <laughs> you'll see me wearing jackets all around everywhere. Vegas is um, hot. Unless I'm I shooting. I thought Vegas was hot. It, it is inside, but I'm talking like I want to be sweating before I walk in there to go <laughs> shoot. So I'm like my body's just warm. Cause if I'm cold and like shivering at all, it makes, it makes shooting on the nerves and you makes you a little sore. I feel like, or like right sure. off the bat. But yeah. Like if I'm sitting in the stands, I'll be trying to, I don't know, drinking water kind of distracts me from any nerves or anything. It's like, it's kind of like one of those things where like, if you're being awkward and you don't know what to do. So you do something to like, not be as awkward, like drink water. So that's, sure. that's kind of like, the, it's more of like a soothing thing, I guess for me, but that's one thing I do under nerves a lot is I just, I just, I drink a lot of water and I wind up having to go to the bathroom in the middle of Vegas and like run up the <laughs> stairs and at the target change and then ask, I don't know who I asked, like Bodie to <laughs> hang my target for me if you can. Or if I, if I, I like to be on top or I know I like to, if I'm on bottom ever, then that's a perfect opportunity. Cause then I, I get a whole extra four minutes, you know, of someone shooting and then waiting for scores and, you know, whatever else before I get to have to go up there and shoot. But I think, I think really just the confidence, like knowing what you do at home and knowing that, and then learning to use that in your advantage was a big part of it. I mean, I, there's, I don't know. I I think just the confidence and knowing what I do at home and going to the range and then knowing how to do that under pressure and yeah, the confidence I think is crazy. Yeah. 
It's a, and yeah. it, so, and that's, that's the thing too, changing from amateur to pro. So you're, you've, you're going through, you've been through the same transition. I'm, I'm about to embark on where, you know, you go from the top dog in amateur class. Every time you walk out there, you know, you're probably going to win that tournament. And that confidence is, is unreal. Cause you go out there and it's just easy. It's, it's, sure. you know, it's, it may sound cocky to say, but it, it feels like, you know, it feels like even if you didn't shoot the best, it's, it's still going to work. Like, like how I say, when you're shooting really well, you don't even have that to think happen. it just happens. So you, yeah. you just walk out there and you know, you're going to win. And then you win and you're like, Oh, big shock. And it's like, you know, or, sure. or maybe you didn't even shoot that well and you won. So having that confidence going into the pro class is going to be a whole different ball game because those guys are good. Like beating amateurs is way different than beating pros. And I, I say beating and beating, but winning, I guess being successful in the amateur classes and, and placing high is, is way different in your, your depth of competition. Not that it's not there. Cause you have, again, a lot of amateurs that are coming up and shooting in the pro ranks in the next year or two, but the depth is like every one of those pros out there for the most part, some guys just shoot pro cause they like to, but for the most part, every one of those guys out there is shooting pro because they went through that same exact thing. They, they dominated and went pro. So they've all been there. They've all done that. And then now they're pro for years. And some of them like Kyle have just been dominating. Like, you know, look at Justin Hanna shooting 3d. It's like, you know, they, they've, some of those guys names that come to mind, it's like, they've been there and done it. So they have that confidence going into it just like you did. And now you may feel like you're the other guys that may be shooting with you whenever you were an amateur that you're like, Oh, <laughs> like, yeah. no, you know what I mean? Now it's like, Oh, Kyle's coming out here. So, you know, you're not going to win, but you can't shoot to beat people. I know you, you have to shoot for scores. Yeah, you know, I, if you, if I were to go out there in a tournament and be like, I want to beat Kyle Douglas, you're never going to do that with that mindset. And I, yeah. I've heard that not that I've ever thought that I, I've known that for a long time, just from my baseball background, you know, you, you don't, you don't go out there and damn, here's cool. Dan McCarthy also has a, a really high level baseball, you know, I guess experience or career. I, I don't know if it, he never went pro, I don't think, but he, he did really high level baseball and like the traveling baseball and stuff. So sure. it was really cool to connect with him like that. But, oh, as I say, it's so like in baseball, you're not going to be competing to beat that team. You, you play to have perfect games and to not miss those, you know, stopping the ball and, and, you know, to not right. have those simple strikeouts that were just bad decisions or, you know, being a pitcher, just, you know, being in the moment and taking advantage of those moments and, and, and shooting for scores. And yeah, it's, you, you can't go out there to, to beat Kyle. You have to go out there and, and beat yourself really, and, and be better than it would be if you didn't do that. So that's, that's kind of how those guys are. And I know, I don't know, it'd be interesting to hear the perspective from Kyle. Cause like, I know, and I know like all the, all the guys that are winning is like, you know, they know what it's taken to get to that level and to win. Sure. So I know that Kyle isn't walking out there knowing that he's going to win. Cause he knows if you make one mistake, it, you right. go from, you know, top of the leaderboard to now you're out of it. Cause the, the point spread is so thin. And that's something we can talk about too, is, is ASA, uh, not ASA, but people saying that ASA should go to 60 yards. I have, I have opinions on that, that. I, I really would like to share because I don't yeah, like... Yeah, go for yeah. it. So ASA, is that just a amateur class and a pro class or just the pros? I think I think people are talking about just the pros, but there's been a lot of people saying that they should move it to 60 yards. Okay. And 60-yard max. And my opinion is they shouldn't do that. They should make the ranges harder because there's some tournaments like at okay. Metropolis. If oh you watch... Yeah. If you, if you watch the scores, they're, they're all shooting that good. So that tells you that the range wasn't that hard. 
It was, you know, and and I guess it's different because I I wasn't shooting that range, but when everybody is shooting 60 up and then you go to the next tournament and it's like, you know, then, then the scores are back to average, like mid, mid to low fifties and, you know, below that it goes, but, but then, so if people, I feel like a lot of people that aren't pros are the ones that are saying that. It's like, you, you know, you don't really have a clue and neither do I, but if you were to take the guys that are winning and they say it's because the scores are too high and it's like too hard to win. Well, if, if you went to 60 yards, the guys that are winning now would dominate so much more because all it would do is just spread the scores out a lot more. And then, and then it would make it impossible to win shootoffs as well. Because if, if you're coming into the leaderboard, you know, in fifth place, granted, if you come in fifth place, yeah, there was something you could do about it because you could have shot better and gotten in first. But, you know, if you, if you came into the shootoff so far behind the first place guy, it doesn't make it as, you know, dramatic score changes like Perkins won, I believe it was 2019 Foley, maybe, but yeah. he, maybe it's 2020. Yeah, it was 2020 Foley, uh, the first tournament, not the classic. But in 2020, he went out there and he was at the bottom of the leaderboard. And then Kevin Dukes was leading it. And he was, uh, he was 10 points back or 12 points back, I think, maybe eight. Uh, pretty, pretty big point gap. And he, he yes. climbed all the way up and just went 14, 14, 14 and won it. But so, yeah, if you went to 60 yard max, I know that doesn't, that scares me one, because it's, it's so much harder to shoot 60 yards than 50, but I've been, I've been in like some local stuff that you can shoot out to 70 and I was shooting 14 rings left and right. You can ask Zach about that. And that was, you ask, ask him how good he shot. It was, it was, he, he has a lot of, he's really funny when he talks about how good he shot. Cause it was, it was a struggle <laughs> and he'll, he'll say yeah. that, but, <laughs> but he, well, it was, it was actually a really interesting dynamic because on the targets that he didn't shoot well. I came in in second and the game plan was if he was a 10, I shoot at the 14 every time, but right. if he wasn't a 10, so like on the, on all the 14s that I missed out of 20 targets, it was like four. I think that I, and two of them, I didn't even go for the 14 cause he already shot it. And I didn't want to ruin his arrow cause we already had a 14 on the card, but it's like a, it's like a two man scramble kind of best, best arrow out of both of you and your team best arrow out of both of you goes on the scorecard. So he would shoot and it would normally be like a 12 or a 10. And then I would shoot at the 14. There were some times when, when he had saved me and I, and he, you know, he shot whatever it was. And, and, and then my score was not a 14 <laughs> and then right, right. on there. So that's kind of how that worked. But what was I talking about before that? Oh, so the, like, yeah, you can, you can shoot it to 70 yards accurately, but I think that it's going to spread out. If you look at the targets and where the holes are in targets, it'll spread that out quite a bit. Cause 100%. again, in known class, everybody's going to be shooting at every single ring on every single target. So it, yeah, yep. it'll spread out the scores quite a bit, but I think it'll just make it harder to win. And I don't know if the argument is that it's harder to win or scores are too high, but either way, if it was harder to win or, and if scores were too high, either way, the competition is going to be the same. Cause you're not competing against the range. You're competing against the other people on the range. Right. Right. So, so the competition and the level of difficulty would be the exact same that you'd see. But the problem is then, then it'd be like, you know, such and such is winning every single tournament every single ASA because yeah. it might, it, you would see that because there's, there's going to be two or three guys like Jimmy and Kyle this year, you know, they were both shooting really well. And I think uh Brent Platt had one, he shot like 60 something up at Metropolis. So like those guys and, and, you know, the, the leaders on shooter of the year are probably going to be the top five guys at every single tournament. And you'll see that every time just because they do that. And you might see a more widespread equipment, like more guys shooting 23s or skinnies or whatnot, but but yeah, that's, that's kind of my take is like, I don't want to see that because I like, I like, and Tim would completely disagree, but I like how 3d is becoming a little bit more and more 12 is par and the, and the rest of it. If it's like, if, if you're a 12, you're good and everything else is not good. Even a 10, 
So whereas it used to be a 10 is good and a 12 is awesome. I, I kind of like that aspect because it's it's like you because I don't know whether or not it's 50 or 60 yards, 12 is going to be par either way. And everybody's sure. going to be at them. So a good shot's going to be a 12 and a not as good shot could be an eight or a five or a 10. If you're lucky. 10 yard jump is pretty crazy. I could understand a five yard jump, but yeah, there's an infrastructure problem. So yeah, I've heard that. If, if you move everyone back in the pro class five yards, you have to make sure that all of the tournament venues can support that. Exactly. And all of the local and state ASA ranges need to be able to do the exact same thing on their home yep. turf. And yeah, and there are oftentimes where like, like you're just making so, so many people have to change up so many things. Like not, not saying this is what we could do or should do. I think we should keep things the same right now. We haven't had a 40 up at an ASA yet. So it's like, let's just keep going until it happens. But you could just make the ring smaller, right? Instead of and I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind that. Yeah, I wouldn't mind yeah. if they went. Because the old, if you ever see the old 12 rings, they're actually a little bit smaller. They're actually like, a, I don't know, like the new ones are, it's a 12 or it's a one inch circle. That's the inner diameter. And then like right. with the ring and with an arrow diameter. So, so like, here's the one inch ring. And like on the inside of my finger, it's one inch. And my finger is like the outside of the ring where if you still touch it, and then you have an arrow diameter. So like my thumb is a bigger arrow, so it can be way out here. And you have the rings pulling sometimes where it touches it. So you can really be That's within, I would say if if the center of your arrow is within, oh, three quarters of an inch, I, I think it, it would it would touch 50% of the 12s if you pulled it right and very easily. But within half an inch of it, yeah, you're hitting every 12. So yeah, I mean, sure. you're really shooting at a, you know, a one and a half inch circle of the center of your arrow has to hit free to hit a 12. So yeah, sure. making them smaller and actually a one inch ring or, you know, maybe changing the foam. I know some years they had harder foam that didn't pull very well. And before that it was really soft foam, like, but targets were tearing up too fast. Yeah. This year, like a really, I feel like the foam this year was really good. Been wearing out a little faster than they want. But I remember two years ago um, when we were in Paris is whenever they tried out the new foam they had last year was super hard. But yeah. but all the rest of the targets were not that new foam, and they they right. were just torn up. It was so bad. But that yeah, foam the new so foam bad. isn't bad. It's just hard yeah, to pull. New, your I like arrows. the new foam how it, how it is right now. Yeah, I feel like now I don't know about the paint, but I feel like the the foam it just holds up like longer. Yeah. So yeah, the paint yeah. I like solid targets because then you can see them the whole time. The paint makes yeah. it rough. It makes it rough to yes. aim off of because then like the whole scoring area is like like on a black book, for example. The uh yeah, the whole scoring area is like gray, right where you want to be at, but it's like yeah. a gray that's like a, an oval that's you know the size of a football where everybody sure. is hit. So you really can't pinpoint the rings, but on a brand new and you guys are shooting normally, unless it's the end of the round, normally it's they're pretty new, right? Like or they're brand new at the very yeah, beginning. Right. And then they're they're brand new on both days, right? No, no, uh, maybe because like I know like the women and the men shoot separate. Like the seniors and women's will sometimes shoot yeah, together, and they're super yeah. shot on the second day. Are they? Oh my goodness, they are. Especially so with, shot all, with how good all the pros are. Every twelve, yeah, the it's upper pros. twelve, the upper yeah. twelve on every target is just blown up. Mm -hmm. And that's yeah. another thing. I like to shoot all uppers because yeah. I, I my pin goes up. I have an up pin, so I like to see. And Nathan Brooks again teaching me just little tips is is don't don't shooting not shooting at the 12 but shooting so your whole pin is inside the 10 ring and you'll always yes. be doing yes. that i unless there was a bad shot 
I've never shot an eight. If, if my whole pin was in the 10 ring, I've never shot an eight. But again, I've shot shots where like it was holding on 12, but then I, I, I like moved like right before it shot. And it obviously was an eight. Like in the classic, my very first target was a five. And that was my fourth five of the year. And, mm-hmm. but it was a five. Cause I, I shot a 45.0 yard target right before I went to go shoot the round. And here's something that I, I do that. I, I know everybody does, but I go to a whole yard number. So like, it might be 37.0, it might be 45.0. And I use the, oh, what are they? The Gunstar tapes. So mm-hmm. I like it on a, on a color. That's not the orange one. So not 40 to, or actually I like it on a color that's not the green one, I think, which is 20 to 30. Because like it has ranges on your sight tape that's a different color codes so that you're more less likely to miss at your sight. So 20, 30, 34, 40, 50. So one of them is green, one of them is yellow, one of them is like orange. Well, I don't All like right. setting it on the yellow. So I'll, I'll go, and I don't like setting it at 20 yards because one click at 20 yards is harder to notice than one click at 50. But a lot of times though, I can notice two clicks at 20. So, so yeah, like I'll go to, I like it to be about 45 yards where it's white again. And then I shoot 45 or 44.0. And if I hit high or low from where I did, then I I just click my sight until I'm hitting right behind my pin and then take my indicator and then move it back to whatever my range finder just clicked it at at 44.0. So then I know that that I'm sighted in, I'm zeroed. Again, the target rifle thing, I'm I'm zeroed at 45.0 and then move my pin to 45.0. And a lot of times though, I... I don't actually move it because sometimes if you move it now, it's just not perfect how you want it. So if, if I feel like it would be more of a danger to move it two clicks on my indicator, then it would be to just add two clicks on every single target. Then sure. that's what I'll do. So I'm and, and like, again, with being analytical about everything, if I even have a sight tape, that's not perfect. I don't need a sight tape. That's perfect. As long as I know where my arrow is going to hit, I'm good. Right. So I'll zero it where it'll hit a 12 ring at 20. And then uh, out to 50, I may be six clicks off. So then at, at 50, I'm sick. I, you know, take off six clicks at 40. I know I take off four and at 30, I know I take off two. And, and so like I, you can scale it like that. And sure. that's another thing that I, I think I do, but yeah, like I, I, a lot of half the time I'm, I'm just adding two clicks on every target when I get out there and holding inside the 10. Yeah. I mean, holding inside the 10 is a big, that, that taught me so much. Cause like aiming at the 12, even though I fired on the 12, it might've been a half shaft 12, or it might've been an eight because I fired. Yeah. I fired on the 12 ring, but my pin was halfway in the 12 and halfway in the eight, but, and I'm right. not necessarily aiming at the connector between the IBO and the 12 ring. I don't no. agree with that. I agree with aiming dead at the 12, but making sure your entire pin is inside the 10 ring. And even, even just aiming for, if you split the 10 ring into four pie pieces in the quadrants, if you just put your pin in the middle of that whole quadrant, it makes it so much easier to aim because you're not even aiming at the 12 ring. You're you're aiming at that quadrant. And if you make a good shot, sure. if you're a little bit low, you might be out if you're shooting at the upper. But then if if you're high at all, or if you hit right where you aim, you're going to be at least a half shaft 12 and left to right. Very like nice. 12 ring is crazy to think about it, but 12 ring is a lot of times it feels very big. Whenever you split up how you aim like that, it can, it can feel tiny if you're trying to, it's like if I put a, oh, if I'm shooting at a, um, on an indoor range and I take a, a, a Birchwood Casey one inch orange dot and put that out there and try to sight in on that, it is sure. extremely hard to hold on that dot. But if I put it a is. Vegas target up there, it's super easy to aim on it. So it's because you have it, all you this can change aiming strategies to make it very easy. Where if you if you split up the ten ring like that, I feel like aiming at that quadrant, you aim so much more relaxed and just so much easier. So I, yeah. I try to do that. I try to always fire on the twelve, and and you know most of the time I it works really well for me. Very nice. 
So where can people find you on social media? I am on Instagram and Facebook. Facebook is just Christian Clark. And normally I don't accept requests unless there's a lot of mutual friends. <laughs> so that's kind of how I'll do that. But yeah, but if you guys are listening, then Christian Clark Archer on Instagram is open to the public and it's not private. So come on there. I I post everything that's on my Instagram. 90% of it goes to my Facebook as well. So it's they're pretty much identical. I try to keep them the same. Very nice. Cool, man. So dude, good luck this season. It was a pleasure to have you on. Want to try to have some more command shooters like yourself on the podcast so we can spread the virus a little bit. But uh, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, anyway, uh, do you have any uh, parting words for the audience? No, I just say keep working hard, guys, and, you know, keep shooting and, you know, do what's natural for you. Whatever you feel like hits the 12 gets it done for you. It may not work, but may not work for me, may not work for you, but it works for, you know, whoever it works for. So, yeah, absolutely. Just change your bow and um, you should be good. So, but all right, we'll see you guys in the next one. All right. Thank you, guys.